Kelly Santiago, what is your favorite game? My favorite game is Indigo Prophecy slash Fahrenheit. the supermarket are in the arcade <laughs> that was there that my mom would drop us off at when she went grocery shopping. <laughs> That's probably one of my earliest memories of playing video games. Um, we also had, my dad was in uh, software engineering business and so we had a computer at home from pretty early on and, uh, and so also just like t tooling around and playing with old ASCII art games and dungeon crawlers and that notion. Um, and uh, I guess just being in a household where we did have, you know, interest in technology and how it was evolving and no, like I was never uh, told not to do it, <laughs> I guess, which is different from some women and minorities. And um, so I, I continue to play around with it. Uh, my interests, uh, lied in the arts. I was like really involved in theater and music and um, everything that had to do with art and performance I was really into and that's what I actually went to study. I went to study theater at New York University um, uh, for, for college and uh, then I was in New York and working in theater, original works, producing and managing and a lot of those started incorporating more interactive and digital media elements. And because I was just always a tinkerer and always interested in that stuff, like I kind of more and more would um, be the de facto person in charge of those things. And after doing that for about two years, I decided to uh, pursue a master's degree that might focus in that area. And one of the few programs at the time that kind of had technical expertise um, but didn't require a computer science undergraduate degree or mathematics degree um, was the USC interactive media program which had just started uh, I was actually in the second incoming class of their master's program now there's an undergraduate program that did not exist at that time um, so I came out to LA to do that and in my first semester I had a class taught by Tracy Fullerton, um, and she was teaching a history, uh, a class on the history of game design, and it actually expanded throughout human history. So it really extracted game design from just video games into the role of play and culture and um, the broader history of games and designing of games. And that really opened my eyes to game design as, as, a, as an art, as a medium, as a practice. And it really, for me, um, just uh, felt like it was sort of the thing I had been looking for all along, um, that I was never completely satisfied in any one artistic pursuit, and that games were really this renaissance, um, and still are, uh, this renaissance medium um, where you have people who come from all different interests and backgrounds, and then in order to do the work, 
Um, it also requires you to be really interested in many different things um, like art and storytelling, but also sociology and psychology uh, and, and of course, engineering and, and mathematics and science. And, and, uh, and then it was sort of a one-two punch because then the, the next semester, uh, we all went to the Game Developers Conference and it just felt like I had really found my tribe. <laughs> I was a lot of like-minded people, um, not to mention just being able to like be face-to-face -face with these, these legendary giants in my mind, growing up in Richmond, Virginia, playing video games in the suburbs, like never imagining I would, it would just seem like magic, right? Like these games were made by magicians that didn't exist in real life. <laughs> like, and so getting to not only meet them, but just find out that they're actually some of the, the most awesome, genuine, nice people, <laughs> which, is, which is very different than most established medias. Um, where the stars are, you know, there's truth to the stereotypes of like divas and egotistical and standoffish and like games, people aren't like that. Um, and uh, yeah, and so I was kind of hooked. So <laughs> from that point on, I really focused everything I could into working on as many games as I could and sort of making up for lost time. Um, and that's what led me to joining Genova on his uh, student project cloud, um, which uh, then kind of went on to be the project that launched that game company. Mm. Um, so I just want to touch upon like going all the way back to the start. Um, like, what games were you playing like specifically when you were young? Like, what kind of started you out on that road, basically? Yeah, started me on that road. I mean, always like two games that certainly have. Uh, for front of mind presence, um, whenever I'm asked that question, are uh, one is Sleuth, which was this um, clue-like game where you played a detective and a murder had just happened in this house and you had to walk around the house and interview people and try and find the murder weapon and basically um, figure out who did it in what room with what weapon um, before the murderer would get you. And this sounds really terrifying. It was this, uh, it was ASCII art. And so you were smiley, you were a little smiley face and everyone else was little smiley faces. Uh, but it was so scary. And it was just like really captured my brother and I, my brother's two years younger than me. Like we would always play these games together. And um, I mean, it would totally capture our imagination with um, just a little bit of information, right? And like a little interactivity um, just to, created this sort of all-encompassing experience. Um, and then the second is, is really Super Mario Brothers, um, uh, which I probably isn't the most imaginative answer, but it's the truth. <laughs> and I also, I remember, because I was first exposed to Mario Brothers in that grocery store arcade, um, and, and, uh, and then, when we had got the Nintendo system in our house and being able to play Super Mario Brothers on my TV, it felt like just unbelievable. Oh my God, I can't believe this is, you can actually do this. You can use this controller in my house to control these cartoons on the screen. Um, and, uh, 
yeah, it just uh, is really formative experience, I think. Um, past that, it's like, I think my brother and I turned every single game we could into co-op games. This is before co there were a whole lot of co-op games. Um, we did a lot, especially, uh, I always love, and I still love adventuring games because of this, um, where there's a divide between action and then the puzzle solving um, because that's also like kind of how we would split things up and you would have one person drawing the maps and like figuring out the puzzle answers and then the other person taking care of uh, combat and or navigating quick scenes um, and uh, and so it was something that just we sh we shared with each other um, yeah mm, like you, you mentioned Super Mario it's just when you mentioned Mario and how it was all this cartoons coming to life, it was just like the first part was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe it!" Like this is this kind of level of inter interactivity, it's real. It's it's here. Yeah, it's here. Um. So yeah. Um. I cut, I think I cut you off just before uh, answering that game company question or that game company answer. Like yeah. Um. I want to say I want to confess this up front because, like last time I did this, it was towards the end of the episode. But the early episode, I'll, I'll admit this up front. Um, that game company is actually partly why I want to bring you on the show. It's crux of why I wanted to bring you on the show because um, Journey is one of my favorite games ever. It's in my top three. Um, and Whoa, I... top three! <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it, uh, I I adore it so much. I said this like I I kept this at the end of. Um, recording Robin Honecky's, Robin Honecky's episode last year because I just wanted to keep that as a bit of a surprise but <laughs> I, I, I I love Journey so so much and to be fair like it was only last year I kind of realised it was in my own top three um, because of the PlayStation 4 version coming out at that time and it was after playing it I just realised well I think I found a game that can actually fit in my top three because it's only ever been a top two since uh, up until Journey which was The Last of Us and Metal Gear Solid 3 um, and then obviously The Last of Us is a fairly recent game but even still um, but oh I love Journey so much I love Journey so much I love Flowers I love all of that game's uh, that game company's game so um, um, <laughs> no, I'm really proud of them for sure um, I, yeah. yeah I was going to say um, like yeah like did you ever think that that game company would be as successful as it actually became uh, yes and no so on one hand um Genova and i knew what we were doing was very experimental and that um on any given project we could launch it and no one would play it and i would just be like oh that was kind of weird <laughs> but on the other hand the intent of that game company games has always been to create experiences that okay, they aren't normal, they, they aren't what's expected out of a video game, but they're presenting experiences that we think anyone can relate to. So that actually, although these are experimental, they're, they're hopefully going to be more relevant than any other video game has ever been to this group of people before in order to, uh, in order to invite more people into playing games, which we have really loved um so sort of starting with the premise that it's not that someone's a gamer or not it's just that uh if they're if they consider themselves not a gamer it's because they haven't experienced a game that they've connected with which is totally reasonable 
given the limited range of experiences that the video games as a medium has presented so far. So I always liked um, feeling like, okay, the best we could do is make a game that achieved the goals we set out to achieve at the very beginning and everything else is just chance. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, especially Journey, like getting so much, um, so much acclaim and the and the game of the year awards was really incredible because up until that point um flow and flower had certainly been really well received but they were also they also sort of always capped out at well this is great for a downloadable game this is great for an indie game this is great for these sort of different types of experiences and journey um i think really surprised us all in being a, an experience that seemed to cut right across that and actually become people, you know, like yourself, someone's favorite game, just end of sentence. Mm, absolutely. Um, like, I think I, I, I'd be correct, not, well, not so much, or just more of an opinion than it is fact, but I think Journey was one of the biggest, if not the biggest game that helped reach mainstream uh, appeal in terms of this indie revolution because like you said like there was a kind of glass ceiling to flow and fly whereas with journey it it just did it yeah yeah and i think i think uh it, it might help to to hear that uh another way to look at it is that all of our games were were um experiments in the in the most scientific kind for us so it was like we have this theory that people will play games about different subjects, they'll do these different things, and we can do whatever it is that we're trying to do in this game, and it'll appeal to a lot of people. But we might be wrong, hmm. but let's test it. And so every time, and with Journey, it was just so validating, right, to us, and I think to a lot of, uh, of gamers who felt similarly um, that, yeah, this is this is possible. You can make this type of game, people will embrace this type of game. Um, and, and with Journey, for me, that was like, when I say this type of game, it was a, you know, a console online game in which people felt really um, connected with another person and that it wasn't this negative experience that you get yelled at by someone <laughs> it, was that, it, was that, it was that sense of togetherness <laughs> yeah like games can actually connect us and it doesn't have to be um and that, that some of that onus is on the designer like the way people behave in online games is is in, in reaction to the stimulus that they're being provided by those games um it's not just like humanity's awful that's why people say sexist and racist comments and you know your average online shooter it's like there's i mean especially in that case it's like there's strategy to that because you like want to throw off your opponent um it it's part of that game it's not that people suck and we should just give into that <laughs> it's like you can design online experiences that that set up different expectations um, for the players and can create different kinds of experiences. Mm. So for me, it's always like, so then why don't you? Mm. <laughs> um, one last question, at least on that game company side, um, like what do you think 
is the legacy of Journey like a few years on from its release? Because I asked Robin something similar, and yeah, I just want to kind of get your own thoughts on its legacy now. Like it's because it's it has been four years since it came out as of this month. Yeah, um, I was really proud of. I can't remember. I think it might have been this last year's E3 that I really felt the the long tail impact of journey where i saw more games that that were being first of all that were being funded that were uh, and and sort of push, set up for commercial success and to have commercial appeal um that i don't think would have before um games like abzu or um uh the new giant sparrow title um, and and at the same time, also seeing elements of even the largest AAA games that kind of incorporated aspects, I think, that were of, of Journey, like having moments of environmental exploration, um, moments of quiet, uh, giving the players the ability to explore story in a different way. Um, yeah, to me, that was... I. I just felt like that's exactly what we were always hoping to do is to have this impact on the industry to just show like that it's possible to make other types of experiences. Um, and I like to think that that is happening. Mm, absolutely. Um, obviously, after Journey came out, you left TGC to pursue mm -hmm. new pursuits. Um, uh, first, Ouya, and now you're at Google. Like, how are you finding that? Yeah, uh, Google is, is cool. <laughs> it's, it's definitely, it definitely lives up to the hype here. Um, it's really awesome to be in a group of very like-minded individuals, which I don't even know necessarily that I was expecting that much because in, in the business development side of games, um, I think pretty much everyone in games is a gamer, but you can get really, like, on the production and BD side of games, um, you can get some, like, pretty jaded people <laughs> at that point. And, um, and that's not the case here. Uh, and at the same time, the team... So I'm on the Play Games business development team. Um, so we're the ones that interface with developers coming to the Play Games platform. And then also, also working internally to help drive initiatives and set priorities uh, that we think will most benefit our developers. Um, and, I, and I focus specifically on indies and influencers. Um, so it's really cool to be in a group of people um, where it's also not like I'm the only person who's playing indie games. Like everyone just plays all types of games. They're really, they have great critical minds. They're really enthusiastic about it and like very um, optimistic <laughs> about, you know, uh, about our ability and both like the opportunity to help continue to grow the ecosystem to support a wide range of developers that that create a wide range of content um yeah i mean it helps that there's sort of like the facebook um cautionary tale i think <laughs> like people people view like what happened on facebook gaming as sort of uh, a cautionary tale of leaning too far into what the most successful revenue drivers were and that that then it just like created a total burnout 
Um, and not to put like Facebook totally on the spot because certainly you could see other uh, you know instances of it happening in any marketplace. But um, but it, that, that does sort of like help statistically to say like yeah, there's like a reason we want to diversify you know the types of content and the voices that are on the platform. That's like really critical to long-term success. Um, so so that's been really interesting, and it's definitely so. In addition to the work you just said, I, I'm also co-founder and investor in, in Indie Fund, which is an angel investment fund for independent developers. And um, and so like all together, and, and I do work with like, I'm getting ready now to uh, co-host and I've co-organized the Independent Game Summit, which is at GDC. And I've done a lot of work with um, Indiecade. And so just really, um, passionate overall about that very subject of trying to diversify the types of experiences in games. And I think a key to that is diversifying the type of people that are making games. Um, and uh, yeah, so so it's been really amazing just even in the five months that I've been here at Google to be able to be exposed to, okay, how does like one of the largest gaming platforms in the world view this space? Um, and what are the ways in which we can impact that perspective and then also use that perspective to impact players and what their expectations are out of games. And it's pretty cool. Hmm. It's pretty cool to do stuff at Google scale. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on then. Uh, let's do it. your favorite game, uh, Fahrenheit slash Indigo Pro Prophecy for anyone in the United States. Um, and we should clarify up front, Indigo Prophecy, um, that's the name of the game in the US because um, the name Fahrenheit was too similar of the movie Fahrenheit 9-11 coming out at the time mm -hmm. for anyone who wanted to know that. Um, before we get into Fahrenheit mm -hmm. itself, um, I want to mention uh, a bit about Omicron, like, did you play Omicron at all before Fahrenheit? Like, were you aware? Yeah. No, I did not. Uh, okay. Uh, I, f I figured that might have been a good jumping point because it was a quantum game, but, um... <laughs> I know, it's the one I haven't played. Uh, I don't know, it was free recently, uh, Omicron, in the wake of, um, Bowie's sad passing. Oh, really? Yeah, at least it was in Europe, anyways. I don't know if it was in the same mm. with the US, so... Um, it was for a very short time though, I think it was only for a week. So, yeah, um, shame. Um, so, what the first attracted you to Fahrenheit? Anyways, like, what got you into it? So, I was exposed to it, I was trying to think, when did it, let's see, when did it actually release? Uh, 2005, which is actually yeah. quite, quite surprising, because I thought it was a bit earlier than that, 2004. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's what I, I, which all would have encompassed me being in grad school, so that's what I, because I remember being exposed to it, and so now I know it's correctly in grad school, and I actually saw it, I mean, I saw it at some showcases ahead of launch, 
Um, and I, um, I mean, I had been already like quite taken with these alternative video game experiences. Um, and especially like, I don't know if it's just my style of play or getting older or what, but um, the like really moving away from Twitch-based gaming and, and going all the way to, you know, games in which you're just walking around and exploring. And in fact, when I started at grad school, Tracy Fullerton um, invited me to join her Halo 2 clan in which they would just go Halo hiking. So they actually wouldn't engage in the arena at all, but go hiking around the edges because the, it was unbelievable. Like that game, just the online worlds were so gorgeous <laughs> like compared to anything else that had been released. Um, anyway, so like I, I, I was definitely like finding myself more attracted to this. And Indigo Prophecy had this element of it, right? Where it wasn't, <laughs> we'll talk about like, that's kind of where the game goes awry for me is like, and it gets more action heavy. Um, but especially in the first and like kind of, kind of through this first and second acts of the game, um, it's, uh, very um, atmospheric, and they're and they actually apply almost they apply Twitch gaming, but to conversation, um, which was really interesting. And I remember talking to someone who was representing the title at a show, and they were saying the the line they were using about the narrative was that it was this rubber band experience because also like interactive narrative was this, is <laughs> continues to be this total third rail of interactive media um, that's very tough to to be successful in. Not a lot of people have found commercial success in that space. And so they were approaching it in this interesting way where it was like, you know, the story is still gonna go around this circle no matter what, but depending on your choices, you know, it'll expand and contract. Um, and, uh, and then playing through the game, you know, I definitely experienced that myself and I felt like it was a really interesting way to feel more connected to the characters in the story. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I was just trying all these very different, very new styles of mechanics, um, in a way that you actually don't see many studios doing. Before we, uh, move forward far enough, I just want to bring back something you said, Halo hiking. I want to know more about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's basically what it was. You just go and, uh hike around the edges of the arena, trying to find really awesome vistas. And then also, I mean, try, there's this element of sort of like trying to find places that no one had been to before. Like, oh, can I actually walk all the way over there? You know, is that accessible in the environment? Or is there like a way to launch yourself? Like <laughs> use the weapons maybe to like launch yourself to a weird place of the arena that you would normal, normally access. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I was like, hiking with your friends you know virtual hiking i've never heard that before <laughs> until now <laughs> sounds fun yeah 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 i mean it actually kind of touches on well <laughs> now that i'm looking at my list of honorable mentions it almost touches on all of them i think <laughs> no way i guess i like games in which you walk around huh Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> I would make a game in which you're walking around. <laughs> um, so yeah, 
uh, it's been some time since I've played the game. So, um, but for those who've not played um, Fahrenheit, like give the elevator pitch because like it has been some time since the game come out. But um, for those who have not played it, like yeah, give the elevator pitch. Yeah. So. Here, I'm looking at a tagline from it now. New York City is stunned by a series of mysterious murders that follow the same pattern. Ordinary people become possessed and kill absolute strangers in public. And you play as this man who seemingly has possibly just done this. And he is both running from the police and trying to figure out, you know, what the heck is going on. Um... And it starts off in this very, uh, almost like Seven style city. It's dark and impressively rainy. And um, you meet some of the other characters of his in his life. Like I think there's a girlfriend involved. Uh, and um, kind of solving this mystery. I mean, people who are familiar with heavy, familiar with heavy rain or and like there's definitely elements that are it's not as uh yeah heavy grind in many ways heavy range this is a much larger game um this is sort of a, a bit more focused down the middle uh and um and yeah so you have uh you you try and navigate these conversations with people and situations in which you're trying to find more information um about what in the world is happening um, and then you get to also play as you actually play as a couple other characters too, right? Yeah, you do, you do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, you like play as one of the police officers. They're both cops. There's a third. Yeah, it's a third person. Also, it's like the two cops that are working together that you jump jump between. In addition to this main guy, Luke, Lucas. So yeah, um, let's touch upon those three playable characters then. Um, Lucas, Carla, and Tyler. Like. How did you find each of them to play as? Um, how did I find them to play as? I'm trying to think. Um, I thought it was interesting uh, to embody. Um, it's kind of funny actually. Now I think about it. Like I actually had this feeling about um, Grand Theft Auto Four of like really feeling um, like I was embodying the character and like wanting to make choices that were best. That, that like putting myself in the role, right? Um, so, oh, what would they say? I want to choose the thing that I think they would most likely say as opposed to uh, just like going through the decision tree and trying to unlock. Because in this game, again, it's like this, this the, the, the conversations were set up with, with a timer and, uh, and you kind of had, you, you quickly had to choose between, I think they didn't even give you the full text. It would just be like sort of your emotional reaction and then that would fill in. Um, and... And so, as opposed to really any other game um, in that uh, in that kind of space, um, other games it's typically like the, the just going through the decision. Like you're just selecting all the different text options until you like get all the answers from somebody. But in this game, it was like you could have a conversation, and then what you said impacted what they said, and like you didn't get anything else. You didn't get to find out like all the other things they would have said had <laughs> you picked something else. It was like that's it. You pissed them off. Like you're done now. <laughs> you know? um, and uh, and so that really like made me feel a lot closer to the characters. Which one did you prefer to play as essentially? Uh, I don't remember having 
Hmm. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, mean, I don't remember having a preference. I mean, I like Lucas was sort of like the main. He was he was the main protagonist. Um, so we had a lot more uh, interesting like nuanced scenes, like the one you're just like playing the guitar and stuff. <laughs> like that. I, I like that ability, like sort of having these like quiet moments with him and. Um, uh, being able to do sort of off-task activities, which I don't remember as much happening with the other two characters. Mm. Like, um, I remember very vividly of the first time you're roaming around his flat. Like, it's the night after mm -hmm. the murder uh, in the diner, and um, it's just, it gives you, I've never encountered a game like Fahrenheit up until, like, obviously fairly recently, because, like, the whole the, like there's more uh, option based games out there now but like at the time for its time like I remember just roaming about just doing whatever just came up on screen like will I see what's mm -hmm. in the fridge and drink milk while I go into the bathroom and just uh, take a shower or whatever and then or go into the bedroom clean up the sheets blo the bloody sheets and, and watch TV or whatever like I don't like I remember doing seeing that playing that even playing tongue twisted like i remember playing that for the first going through that environment for the very first time just thinking this is insane like i've never encountered a choice driven game like that before in my life right uh, i think that's what it's it's so hard for me to answer that question in general of like what what's your favorite game but i remember it having it just being so noteworthy in the things it was trying to do and and did some did successfully, some did not play out. But it was just, it was just a com major commercial title that was really out there um, and doing new things. And I played it multiple times, which is always to me. And when I'm thinking back of like, oh, well, what are games? Because the games like you want to say are your favorite, but then it's like, here's the game that I actually like spent a lot of hours on. <laughs> like, and. Uh, and yeah, it was just like, it was just so interesting and intriguing. Um, I gotta go back again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like. But then was... it gets to the third act and kind of falls apart for me. <laughs> which, is what, which is what I wanted to touch upon now because story wise, like, for the most part, it was actually really fine. Even if, like, for the lack of a better term, Fahrenheit has a bit of a sci fi esque feel once it gets to that final third. But, like, for the first two thirds of that game, it's very. It's very grounded and he like no, not as grounded as what became Heavy Rain, because Fahrenheit and Beyond were very sci-fi esque. Once, oh, well, once you got past the final third of um, Fahrenheit, anyways, and Fa Beyond was entirely sci-fi. But yeah, I mean, for the first two thirds of that game, it was very realistic. Um, and well, not very realistic, but very grounded, anyways. Like, yeah, how did you find that kind of transition within that? Yeah, how did you find that transition after, yeah? You know, it must have been like they were just missing some foreshadowing maybe that would have helped to tie it together because, uh, I mean, I guess we're like well beyond the statute of limitations on spoiler alerts. Go for it. But so like what happens is um, it takes this direction of like ancient Mayans actually figured out how to go exist through time or something like that. Right, and then and so it's like these Mayan, these science fiction Mayan aliens um, that are that are then like coming to co take over the Earth, 
and sort of that that kind of style sci-fi story. Um, and, and you really like haven't been set up to think that the Mayans are involved in any way. Uh, I mean, there's this like mystical element at the beginning, but it has nothing to do with like Mayan culture. Like, I don't think like Mayan culture is actually represented in the beginning of the game at all. And, and so they just kind of come out of nowhere, nor aliens. Like you don't really know that aliens exist in this, in this universe until they show up. Um, and, and on top of that, it then starts, so like the action scenes in the game were much more of the kind of the old DVR style of like, we're playing a scene, press the right button at the right time to do this action. And, and so, and the, and the, the final third also kind of becomes very heavy on that interaction. It sort of takes away, there's no like big story evolution uh or like evolution of the conversation mechanic it's like it just actually becomes like an action game with these alien science mayans from the future mm. um so yeah in both ways i think like it, it, you weren't set up to expect that from a story perspective and then also like it kind of leans into the weakest mechanic a lot mm. certainly but not the mechanic that attracted me to the game to begin with mm. Like it's not just the minds as well. There's it's AIs, AIs. Like what the fuck? Wait, yes. <laughs> what the fuck? Brought back to life by a group of AIs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I See, it's so out there. I was like, what? <laughs> oh my god! I like. I really need to play this game again just so I can get refreshed because like there's. Yeah, like, how do they get involved? I don't remember them. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we could say this once. At least Cage hasn't gone that batshit loony since since that final third of Fahrenheit. Um, no, you mentioned... Um... Uh... <laughs> That's debatable. That's Whole debatable. other conversation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you mentioned the action aspects of that game. Oh, well, the, stuff, oh, well, the scenes mm -hmm. that kind of like I can kind of see what you come from in terms of the action scenes like yeah they're not they, they kind of it's jarring a bit yeah it's almost like when they happen earlier in the game it's like oh okay like with the control scheme you presented this is how you have to do action and okay um but it's not a strong yeah it's just it's just the weakest mechanic for sure and then you're kind of doing it for like an hour and a half <laughs> that's it <laughs> oh my god the, like the more I, I can talk about it the more I actually want to go back and play it again now just to see where it went so wrong or where it went so yes. right in an instance and when I've replayed it I generally like stop at the point that it, it the, th the third act it's like oh okay yeah just, just stop there it's such and a different game it all goes downhill from there yeah you mentioned about, about the atmosphere like do you want to detail about that? How you find that? Because like it's it's very it's very hard he uh, and heavy, for the lack of a better term. Um, yes. Uh, like how how do I find that now? Looking back on it, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think at the time, um, not there hadn't been that many games that had done. Uh, well. That's not true. I was going to say noir, but there had been a lot of like detective noir style games. Um, but uh, it's 
so that I don't know if like that aspect of it was very innovative, but it was certainly um, approached in a very cinematic way, um, which was kind of new at the time. Like really bringing in people with uh, cinematography um, and visual storytelling backgrounds into video game production um, was not something that had been done for a while. For well, up until kind of that generation of console. And like you mentioned that kind of cinematography as well. Like it, it very heavily, it had a heavy, very heavy um, 24 influence as well because it used a lot of split screen as well. That's right. Yeah. I, can't, I forgot about how it lined up with 24. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, we need a lot more 24 like cinematography in games. I'm that, oh, love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you play the 24 game? I did play the 24 <laughs> game. I actually kind of have a soft spot for it. I really do. It's Me a, too. It's Me a, too. <laughs> it is, like, I'll come out and say it's not the best game that stands up with. But you know what? I still like it anyways. It's, yeah, it's not bad. You know, you look... <laughs> little fix. Like, to be fair, like I said this the other day when speaking of another guest coming on the show. Um, Like, I think it was Nina Freeman. And... I was speaking to her about a game that I really love that is objectively and subjectively very bad, but I still can't help but love Animus. Um And it's the PS1 version of South Park Rally, and it's just like, I know it's bad, but I love Animus. <laughs> I can't help it. It's I love it so. Same way with 24. Like, I think those are the only two games where I know they're bad, but I can't help but love Animus. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to put them on your list, but, you know, you actually really enjoyed them. <laughs> Ex exactly. Um, but it is something I want to go back and check and see if, like, it holds up with the, you know, of course, graphics have come so far since Indigo Prophecy slash Fahrenheit, um, which is why I said, it's like one of those games that pops up for me often on these lists is um, Ocarina of Time. Like I spent so much time in that game, but when I went back to play that one, I was like, uh, does not hold up. <laughs> I don't know, I can't. Uh, it's so, I mean, of course it's low resolution graphics, but it's like, um, I just remember it being such a, such a fantastical world. I'm <laughs> looking at it now. It's like, oh, it's really using my imagination quite a lot. Mm, it's just that kind of level of, <laughs> um, or what's the term? That kind of, uh, oh, I can't remember the word, but I can't remember. I'm candy. Uh, I'm ca that that would be. Is uh, that the one you're thinking of? It's not, but I'll I'll accept it. No. <laughs> yeah, because it's not even close. It's not, not even close to the valley. It's like way, way, way. Way. <laughs> I, 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 I find uh, I'm the same actually with um, the original Mass Effect and I know it's only like what eight years eight, oh god it's nine years this year Mass Effect came out and like mm -hmm. I, I I love Mass Effect like I, I adore Mass Effect 2 even more because like it's just a fantastic RPG one of the best RPGs of all time I'd say but going back to Mass Effect 1 like I can't play Mass Effect 1 now because it's just so dated oh Mass Effect one. I wish I could go back and play it, but it's just so dated now. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, oh, it doesn't actually capture my imagination the way I thought it did. Or it doesn't anymore. 
Mm, like it just doesn't stand up. It's the, it's the test of time, basically. It just time ravages everything, including and especially games. Sad face. <laughs> um, going back to Fahrenheit, then. Um, like, can you remember what ending you got? I don't. You know, that's why before this, I was just reading. You know, reading through it to uh, to make sure I remembered everything, and I don't remember. I mean, I did play it multiple times. So I might have just seen all of them. Um, but I don't remember what I got the first time. Do you? I actually do remember. Um, I got the good ending, surprisingly. Nice. <laughs> considered. <laughs> I thought I was going to get at least a neutral ending. Way to be. <laughs> like, um, like, yeah, I, uh, when, when I was thinking back of the bad ending, I got something. Oh, sure, I was going to get the neutral ending. Or even the bad ending. But no, I got the good ending. So, like, I was like, yay. Like, there, there was a game recently I finished for the first time. And it, and it was already a game that was actually in my top 10 uh, already. But this was the first time I finished it. And this solidified it. Um, Persona 4 The Golden. And the game gives you multiple endings. But there's one good ending. And there's kind of several neutral bad endings and there's one really bad ending and i got the worst of the neutral endings i was like nope 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 i don't want that i don't want that like <laughs> and like with with games that give you like you know multiple endings and all that there like i usually accept what comes for me like even in, including and especially choice driven games I take what's mm -hmm. given to me, but I think Persona 4 Golden is the first game where I've just completely not accepted what uh, what I was given in terms of then. So I went back to an earlier save. I was just like, I have to save Naruto. I have to save Naruto and get the best possible ending. And it wasn't so much the best possible ending because like I didn't get the epilogue that they added for the Golden version, but I got as good as the ending as could get. Uh, besides the epilogue, so I was like, "Oh my god, my god, Fred. <laughs> so, in regards to the, the main point I'm trying to make is just like, I can honestly, like normally with games like with Heavy Rain, like with Fahrenheit, I'm I'm usually just like, okay, I fucked up, but I'll I'll take the endings I I get, but like, mm -hmm. I think Persona is the first time Persona Four is the first time where I've just been like, nope, I can't, I won't. I refuse to accept this. Uh, fun times. Fun, fun, fun times. <laughs> Indeed. They're games. Indeed. They are games. They are the fun of it. For better or worse. Regardless of what ending you get. <laughs> I wanted to say Naruto. Um, or Nanako even. Uh, I don't know why I said Naruto. Uh, it's Nanako of course. Um, back to Fahrenheit. Q QTEs. Um, I think Fahrenheit is the game that introduced the QTEs to a wider audience because if Shenmue created the QTE system um, I think Fahrenheit introduced them to a much bigger audience uh, yeah because I'm trying to think um, I remember God of War using them mm. but it might have been like the same year might have been something PlayStation was pushing <laughs> I don't know <laughs> um, uh, so it was I don't know if Indigo Prophecy necessarily brought them to the wider audience or it was just like growing as part of the zeitgeist and like a tool that designers were using at the time. Um, I definitely liked the way, you know, as we were talking about, like the way it was used in, in the conversational way as opposed to the um, like 
what, what's the big arcade one? Dragon's Quest? Dragon's Lair? Dragon's Lair, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? So that was sort of like one extreme. Um, and I think Indigo Profit's kind of sitting like on the other side, <laughs> uh, which was really cool. I mean, it was like like many things with that game, um, really exploring different ways to use all this technology, like sort of um, really deconstructing all the components and putting them together in a different way and, say, and seeing what happened. Hmm. Um... There was another um, gameplay mechanic that I only followed today when trying to get notes together, and like I can't believe I had actually forgotten about this until today. Um, the morale meter in the game—that um, was—I don't. Think, oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a game use a mechanic like that since Fahrenheit. Oh, the morale meter. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean it's another life bar, right? They're just calling it something else. <laughs> mm, fair, like true that is... well, I guess it would, give you, it would impact which conversation choices you had right mm, like like I remember like if your morale dropped low enough you either as Carla or um, Tyler or at least certainly as Carla I just can't remember if it was just the case for Tyler or both of them but either if your morale was low enough like you either quit the force or if you're Lucas you commit suicide um, because you just feel obviously very hopeless that you're not going to be cleared of what's happened. Like, like that was very, um, yeah. Like, uh, like you mentioned it as a kind of life bar. Like, um, yeah. Like, how did you find that as a mechanic? Um, for the most part. Um, I mean, it's interesting to drive you. I mean, all those are like ways to motivate the players to behave in certain ways. Um, so in that way, I thought it was pretty useful. Um, but, you know, probably surprising to no one is like, I'm not a big fan of life limitations in games in general. <laughs> That's why mine don't have any. Um, I just think they're kind of pointless when you just restart. Uh, so in some ways, it's like it was an imaginative use of that system. And in other ways, it was sort of leaning on what I think of as like a, as a crutch in most games that designers are using. Mm. Like, to be fair, like, until you mentioned that, like, I didn't really think of it as a life bar, so, hmm. Although, to be fair, it has been, it has, it has been, it has been 10 years, so. Um, yeah, but again, it goes to that point of, like, they were sort of trying to take these different elements of games and put them, like, deconstruct them and put them back together in a different way. So instead of a life, like, what if it's this morale? Still the same thing, but calling it something different has a different impact. And, like, such a different impact you didn't even notice, you know? <laughs> like, that's what they were doing. <laughs> um, Post-Fahrenheit, like, I want to talk about... Uh, what's sign up? Yeah, post-Fahrenheit, like, at least... How have you found, like, the kind of choice of... Uh, yeah, I'm getting tongue-twisted again. That's what happens to me. Um, since Fahrenheit came out, like, how have you found choice-driven games since Fahrenheit? Because, obviously... There's been Heavy Rain, there's been Beyond, there's been Telltale stuff. I'm a big evangelist of Life is Strange. Um, yeah, like, is there any games that since Fahrenheit that yeah. kind of jumped out for you in regards to choice-driven games? Yeah, I mean, Life is Strange, you kind of hit the nail on the head, I think, is sort of the apex right now. Um, and uh, and for me, what I found, like, because I was playing Life is Strange, I think I get the first three acts, and then I finally got to playing... Um, the second act of, of Broken Age, mm. and it was such a stark contrast, right? Because Broken Age really lies in the in the older style of um, of narrative choice 
driven games um, of, of being in that realm of like what I was talking about where you're just like you're choosing to say all the different things in order to get all the information and to me Life is Strange was just like so um, such a high watermark now of, of where that mechanic can go um, and how it can feel and what sort of impact it has on you um, it was very it was very jarring to like go from one world to the other mm, like with life is strange like what stood out for me is just it's not so much that the fact you have to go and stop the tornado I, I even wrote about this a bit today um it's not so much you have to try and stop this whole tornado thing or the consequences of time itself but more the little bits in between like with your relationships like with chloe and war and and victoria and all out there and like i'm gonna say this and this is gonna be spoilers for any like i i normally say on the show like spoilers are never off limits but i'm just gonna say this up front because life is strange is an absolutely recent game spoilers for the next few seconds or so the end of spoilers for me too by the way because i Still haven't finished it. I have one. I, have, I still haven't played the final act. <laughs> oh, well, it's 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 a it's a good point, and I'm I'm not on well, that final act yet, but it's from earlier in the, in the season, so I think you'll be fine. Oh, okay. Um, right. But but all the same, spoilers. Um, that rooftop scene in episode two with Kate is just absolutely mind-bendingly incredible in terms of with with choice driven games it just felt so for lack of a better term binary like it was kind of predetermined this is what they had to do whereas with life is strange i think has kind of that scene kind of evolved into a whole new level and not to mention the drama of it as well so it's just i cannot if you look for anyone listening who is looking for something that is very heavily choice driven and just wants a great game out of it as well i can't recommend life is strange enough it was my game of the year last year and it's one of my favorite games ever now actually so i can't recommend it enough but like yeah i mean how did you find that uh, find that sequence because like i'm really curious to kind of get your thoughts on it uh yeah i think you kind of touched on them which is like it was really um a culmination of many actions you had taken up to that point um and and it was one moment that's completely irreversible um i also really was impacted by the um the storyline of trying to fix chloe's home situation um i thought that was really powerful um and like what what it really means i mean i'm I also am a big fan of like exploration of time traveling stories that aren't just like the novelty of time travel but about um about what what our relationship to time is and what it means to have regret or what it means to really think about um going back and changing something um and life is strange is one of those kind of time traveling stories which is something i really appreciated about it and it's if anything that scene like pushes home as well it's just like when you explore the world of of arcadia bay and the school and all and just it 
it rewards you in the biggest possible way. Like, if you're roaming about around Kate's bedroom as well, like, you know what you're going to say to her um, when you're on that rooftop um, when when that time comes. Unfortunately, I did not do this ahead of time, and I lost uh, Kate. And, Me too. <laughs> and I was just heartbroken. Yeah, I uh, was totally devastated. I was just like I was about one question away, like one choice away from my friend saving her, and I slept up and I said something about her mum would miss her if she did anything. Like, but, but the thing is, she her mum is one of the biggest. Uh, well, I don't know how to put, phrase this, but like she'd be her and her mum would or didn't have the best relationship, whereas her and her dad are a lot closer and. It's, it's, oh, that, yeah, when that happened, I was just completely devastated, like you said, oh, horrible. Yes, we need a support group for Life is Strange. <laughs> That's pretty much what happened with um, me and a few other people within the UK games industry, like a few other journalists and I, um, we all got together on Skype and email, and we were just chatting about the various episodes from episode two onwards, and it was just... Like, I don't think I've ever encountered that in a game before. Like, there's been a few other games before um, Life is Strange, like Telltale stuff that kind of, you know, work along this. But I think Life is Strange is the one that really kind of broke the camel's straw, uh, straw on the camel's back. Because I've never encountered a game that has wanted to provoke so much discussion, at least episodically, as much as Life is Strange. Like, yeah, I... I think I love that game too much. A <laughs> bit <laughs> too much. That is a, like that is more than healthy. <laughs> like insane amounts of love. Like I should not be talking about that game for more than five minutes. I, I don't know how long we've been talking about it now. So that's probably enough time to talk about life is strange. Um. So yeah. Um. What else did you like about Fahrenheit that we've not touched upon tonight? Oh, I think we've covered quite a bit of Fahrenheit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, really, it's just like underscoring that what I loved about it and then what I continue to love about Quantic Dreams is like, I don't think that they're necessarily successful at everything they try in their games, but they try a lot of really cool stuff. And Indigo Prophecy, I think, is a really good one too to dive in and, and experience that that they were they were trying out some some really weird things if you just kind of like take a look at the games that were coming out um at the same time um it really puts it in perspective what didn't you like about fahrenheit that we've not touched upon besides the final third uh yeah um that was really I think we covered that part. <laughs> that, that was really pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> Sorry, David, <laughs> who I have gotten to meet and like uh, gush over, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so what would you change from a design perspective? I'm guessing that final third. Yeah, yeah, and it's not necessarily like I know, yeah, like I could see how they ended up in that situation even, um, because I don't know how you 
in designing journey in fact it was like how do we think about progression and like how do you win this game and how do you like essentially we sort of had this idea about leveling up in your experience and your understanding it's sort of like that's what you're you're leveling up in is your understanding of the story um and that's where you get to in the end and so if you say like the core mechanic of indigo prophecy is uh like these the stuff that I liked, which is like these conversations and exploration and building relationships, like how I mean, in a way it's like I guess it's sort of the moment in life is strange that we're talking about is is sort of an could be an example of like that's how you continue to level up on in on that trajectory and like what's the final boss? Okay, it's this like situation that's a result of like many of the individual choices and scenarios that you've been involved in. Um, but uh, it's maybe hard to sell that on console. I don't know. Um, so, um, but that, that's what, if I could like redo that game, that, that's what I would be going into it thinking. Like how, how can I like actually evolve on the, 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 the really great key mechanic here as opposed to like tack, what, I, what I feel like is sort of like tacking on something else in order to get it which, you know, many, many games suffer from. It's really hard to end a game. <laughs> it's, like, really hard. <laughs> um, so, like, moving on from Fahrenheit, like, the talk of the evolution of Quantic since, since Fahrenheit, um, like, like, how did you find um, both Heavy Rain and Beyond? Um, so, so, in a way, like, similar, that they're, they're, they're both trying to do different stuff. Um, they both lean into like a kind of game style that I enjoy which is more about like just exploration and discovery and like these nuances um, and, and I mean Heavy Rain like really dives into um, very still like subtle scenes that are trying to create this sense of bond with your son um, and uh, and at the same time I also think that I like also have story complications or like things that kind of throw me out of the world and like heavy rain you don't kind of seems like it's all leading to one place and then it goes to a different direction and then also you kind of sort of this like very stereotypical gumshoe detective and like and uh, both games um are, are challenges with the way they treat their female characters and so yeah yeah but again it's like they're also like pushing in new directions and always trying something new and really asking new questions in each game and i i'm i'm always down for that hmm. i think for me what made me love heavy rain a lot more than fahrenheit is that heavy rain was entirely for completely grounded like there was no final third of that game where it was just it just went completely batshit essentially which was a relief mm, yeah <laughs> yeah i can see that it, i mean it kind of has this like weird sci-fi element to it but it, yeah yeah <laughs> yes. well it does to, to an extent but like it's not as bad as fahrenheit anyways it's not as bad as fahrenheit uh, you know it's like they keep improving thankfully um beyond beyond i was not such a fan of i'm not really oh that really <laughs> killed me like and and those games along with life is strange definitely make me think about uh wow when we get to a point where these characters are just lifelike like 
that's going to be insane. <laughs> it's going to be really powerful, you know, because I already feel like really connected to these characters and they don't look at all. Well, they look sort of realistic, but they look computer realistic, right? Mm. Um, and it's going to happen. So, uh, Speaking of computers, yeah. um, how are you for Detroit? Have you seen that yet? Oh, no, I haven't seen anything about it yet. Oh, shame it's oh look okay context for those listening in 2012 at gdc um cage put out a tech demo on playstation 3 and it was cara and i ever since i saw that tech demo i fell in love with the possibilities of what could come from that game and detroit is that game and i'm ecstatic that's becoming a full game oh ecstatic <laughs> mentions go for it let's see okay so so uh one of them is red dead redemption um which i just really uh felt like uh <laughs> again it's like you're gonna see some like similar themes here it's like wandering around and exploring a space and you could like not use a compass and just remember things by sight and i really loved the way they designed the world um but really it was just this uh it showed for me like power of interactivity as far as embodying the main character um like i had watched a lot of western films but the themes of a western never really resonated with me until actually playing that game and like being that protagonist um and having that moment when you're like wrapping up your missions in mexico and it's time to then go back home and get your family and you know it's what you have to do next but at the same time you're having a really fun time being out in the wild west and i think i feel like i felt like that that emotional um quandary is like at the heart of so many western films but i've never actually really gotten it hmm. uh then jason Rohr, pretty much everything but passage and the castle doctrine are my two favorites uh and then the path by tale of tales which again i would say anything by tale of tales um but uh, in a similar way, it's like The Path was this really great game um, that leaned on, uh, actually it was about wandering off the path. Um, and Tale of Tales just does such, such a great job of inviting the player to just kind of be in the space. Um, mm. So that was always very inspiring to me as a young designer, certainly. Um, if I quickly put you on the spot, what would be your top three? Obviously, uh, top three games ever. Like, obviously, Fahrenheit at the top. Like, how would you rank out the rest of the top three? Well, it's tough because it's not like, I don't know. It's sort of like you have a grouping. Well, like, one is, like, definitely top 
than the higher than the others. Uh, but I guess um, passage, uh, the path, um, the McDonald's game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, Journey probably. That's not in my game. Indigo Prophecy, yeah. So I'm Kelly San, uh, K-E-L-L-E-E-S-A-N on Twitter. My website is kellysantiago.com. You can contact me through either way. And uh, yeah, those are good places to keep in touch. Thanks for listening to my favourite game. Next week, Dante's L on World Games. Until next week, bye bye.